stand to our feet this morning. I had a promise. The Lord gave me a, a word this morning that we are not going to leave this place the same we came in. How many of you like to, to know God's done something in your life where you're not going to stay the same? You're not going to leave the way you came in because He is going to touch us with the power of His anointing. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon Him, upon me, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, binding up the brokenhearted, setting at liberty them that are bruised, the opening of the eyes of the blind, and to bring the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of God's favor. I want you to take your neighbor by the hand because I just sense the Holy Spirit here in a powerful way. Father, we thank you tonight, today, Lord. Lord, we know that as we gather together, the most important thing today is your presence. Lord, our desire, Lord, is to see Jesus, see Jesus high and lifted up. Lord, we know that we're living in changing times. But Lord, you will be glorified. And even as the scripture says, to arise and shine, for your light is come. And Father, we just pray that you would have your way today in this house. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in all that's said and done. Lord, we pray for those that are coming in, Lord, that need Jesus, that need hope, that need comfort. Lord, that they need a word from the Lord. We just ask you that you would pour out your spirit in full measure upon us this morning. Lord, we're here to see Jesus high and lifted up. Lord, we come and we lay all the obstacles, all the distractions. Father, we put out of our minds anything that would hinder your presence, your spirit from speaking into our life right now. Have your way. Just everyone say that with me. Would you just say, have your way. Say it again. Have your way. One more time. Have your way in our life today, Lord. In Jesus' name. Turn to someone, give them a hug. Amen. Lord 
Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. And every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to Closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the glorious name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. When the world's all as it should be, blessed be Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Those who speak in this offering, blessed be
You are good. 
Let's begin to draw from your presence this morning. Cause in your presence is fullness of peace. Oh, let us lay down every thought that would come against you this morning. Oh, God, we will put you first. this morning God there's such a there's such something uh, I just feel the, the presence and the thoughts of God for us he he has such a desire just to and in, in such a in such a gentle way there's such an amazing gentle invitation this morning into uh, I want to say out of something and into something God wants to bring us out of something and he wants to to introduce us to something and he actually wants to us to say goodbye to the old us the old you that he he worked in and he did amazing things in and right where you're at God is saying the only thing that I want to change about you is is it's a new revelation of who I am he doesn't have to change doesn't have to change other stuff let him just let him reveal a new a new depth of who he is and allow that just to start to renew the way you the way you are seeing life around you
prefaced what the Lord has given me this week. That's awesome. I just love when he does that. Um, this is kind of a testimony. Um, several years ago, I went through a horrendous, for me, horrendous trial with some loved ones, and I'm not going to go into it, but I, uh, I hid myself. I hid myself in alcohol. I hid myself in food. I hid myself in depression. I hid myself in anger. I hid myself in thoughts of revenge. Oh, those were so sweet. Those thoughts of how I was going to get them back. I was going to hurt them as badly as they were hurting me. And then suddenly the circumstance changed, really suddenly, just overnight, changed. And everything was fine. And the circumstance was different and all was well. So I thought. (laughs) Um, Fast forward to about four or five months ago, the situation is back. Same people, it's the same circumstance, um, but I'm different. I have some, I have some scriptures that God has just been pouring into me, and I want to share them. Um, first, I want to say, it's funny, you know, when we go to war, when you think about a soldier, what do you think of a soldier that runs and hides? They're called cowards. They're dishonorably discharged. It's not an honorable thing to do, to hide. But in the paradox of God, the best thing we can do is hide. Just make sure you're hiding in the right place. Not in alcohol and not in sleep and not in depression and not in revenge. This is where you hide. Psalm 17:8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Psalm 32, 7. You are my hiding place. He isn't just giving me a hiding place. He's not saying, he come over here. He's saying, come in me. I am your hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Psalm 61, 3 through 4. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. In Psalm 91, 1 through 4, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. I'm sure there are more, but I don't want to sit up here and cry. But just know it's okay to hide. Just make sure you're hiding in the right place. One more thing, I uh, was not happy with the situation before. I am still not happy with the situation, but I have a joy that I I don't think I've known in my whole life. I have a joy that I am not happy with the situation. In fact, a a couple weeks ago, I was just really having a hard time with it, and that's okay, and I told God, God, this just breaks my heart. He spoke to me and said, it breaks mine too. Knowing that, I know that it's not long for this world. That thing that breaks his heart is not going to stand. So 
There's nothing that you cannot overcome, Lord. Only, only in you, God, do we actually discover what life is. We thank you, Father, for hiding us in the shadow of your wing this morning.
Just to sleep through the storm as we find rest in you. says one thing have I desired of thee and that will I seek after and that's to behold the beauty of the Lord. Amen. To inquire in his temple. David said there was no other place than to behold the beauty. Today we're seeing Jesus. Amen. How many of you have seen Jesus this morning? He wants to anoint our eyes this morning to see him high and lifted up and then he wants you to see him inside of you. How many of you know that your life is under the blood of Jesus? That means every curse is broken right now. The Bible says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You know, I may not feel blessed. That's why I renew my mind is because I don't live by how I feel. I live by what he says. And his word will outlast anything my roller coaster world goes through. This morning, I want you to place your hand on your heart because I believe God's going to strengthen our heart this morning. He wants to give us a new heart, a heart filled with faith, wants to put vision in us this morning. I believe the Lord is here to touch and heal. I also believe the Lord is here to minister wisdom. There's someone this morning you came and you're needing wisdom, you're needing an answer. You're needing a breakthrough in your life. There's another person this morning. You've been burned out. You're just tired. In fact, you've even felt like giving up. 
just sense the Lord saying, I've come to that person who feels like giving up. And the word of the Lord is to you, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Father, we reach out this morning in faith. We reach out and we touch the hem of your garment. We come, Lord, and we know that when we touch you, when we reach in our faith, we know we're going to be made whole. Lord, we just thank you for the goodness of the Lord. We thank you for the greatness of your grace on our life. Lord, you come this morning to bless us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And as the Apostle Paul said, this one thing, this one thing I will do, as I will forget those things which are behind and press toward the mark of the prize of your high calling in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for the calling. We thank you, Lord, that you have, Lord, restored and you have greater things in store for your people this morning. Amen. Lord, we're going to leave here changed from the way we came in. We're not going out the same way this morning. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Turn to someone, give them a hug this morning. We want to just thank you all for coming this morning. Experience the blessing of the Lord in your life. God is so good, isn't he? Praise God. Jesus, I just pray this, that you guys have received some hope this morning, that you received some something from, from God this morning, that I know that there have been, I know that he's speaking to everybody in a different way, and I just pray you've, you've gotten what you needed, and if you haven't, that you will just keep your ears open, keep your hearts open, and it's coming. Um, our ushers are going to come down for this morning's tithes and offerings. Um, yes, thank you, Jesus. We believe that... Our money belongs to Jesus and that he's taking care of us, right? I know that's easier said than done sometimes, but he's good and he's faithful. So, Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for just hearing from you this morning. I pray for wisdom in every area of our lives, including our finances. Just be with us. Thank you that you are a God of provision. We just honor you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It is also, they're going to go ahead and go, um, and it's also missions offering this morning. So for those of you who don't know, we support missionaries in Cambodia. Um, and every few years we send some people over there and just, it's exciting. It's exciting what God is doing in other parts of the world. It's exciting to get our eyes off of ourself. And there are so many ways you can be a part of that. You can go, you can help send somebody else, you can pray, you, you know, there's just so many ways that you partner and help bring um, souls into the kingdom. So when they're done, they're going to um, go, go back with the fun missions bag. And I just um, speak faith over Cambodia this morning. You guys just agree with me. Father, we just thank you that, that you are a big God and that we can partner with you to go around the world. And so I just pray that this money would just bring you glory in every corner of the earth. And we just thank you for what you're doing around the world. Open our eyes to see that, Jesus, and just do big things in Cambodia. Amen. And then now, what you've all been waiting for, what's going on at New Life? Read your bulletin. The end. I'm just kidding. Um, no. I wanted to say that for a while. No. Um, tomorrow night, um, you guys can go ahead. Yeah, go. 
Tomorrow night, uh, Monday night, there's discipleship classes. We've got Healthy and Free going on, which is just getting your body and your spirit all aligned up. And then there's also... there's also cleansing stream going on, and there, the, the sanctuary is also open for prayer. So if you just need to come and soak, you can do that. And then Wednesday night, Pastor Ray has started a new series called Renewing the Mind, and you can read your um, insert about if you want details on that. And then next Saturday morning is men's and women's breakfast at 8 a.m., yes. and I know you can do it. It's worth it to get up early and just fellowship and have breakfast with your brothers and your sisters, and it's good, all right? Okay, if you are a kid and you want to go to class, you are dismissed to do that at this time. To power kids in time tots. Fifth grade and under. Praise God. Awesome, awesome, awesome. God is good, isn't He? Can you imagine that we are in March already and spring break is next week, I believe, or the week following, maybe the next three weeks. But isn't our year moving fast? And aren't you just enjoying all this great weather out here? Well, we are in God's country, aren't we? A.M. in Texas. <laughs> we love Texas, too. We love our city. Uh, I just feel the Lord's moving in an awesome way. How many of you just felt the presence of the Lord this morning? Just uh, an amazing sense of the, the glory of the anointing. I really believe Jesus. Jesus is here to just speak to us this morning. I believe he's really here to minister to our hearts. And I, I believe he's here also to bring comfort, bring life to you. And he wants you to know that you're not alone. He wants you to know that you're not walking by yourself. And somebody needs to hear that this morning. You're not alone and he is with you. My Bible says, my God will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? Everyone say never. That's never. You may, the Bible, I love what David says in Psalms 139, though you make your bed in hell, it says he's there. If you rise to the highest heaven, he is there. We have a God who knows right where you're at, what you're walking through. And you need to be aware of the fact that we serve a mighty God. And I want you to know that the devil is not even in the running. So many people put God and the devil on the same equal plane. The devil is defeated. Jesus has raised from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he raised you with him. And you are no longer anymore a slave. You're not a hostage to your past. The Bible says he's crowned you with loving kindness and he's raised you for his glory. And he says you're anointed, you're healed, you're blessed, you're chosen, you're called, you're predestined, and you are an overcomer. Can you say amen? Amen. There is no reason for any of us, amen, to look at our problems and think, well, our problems have us down. They don't have us down at all. And that's a lie from the enemy. Uh, I want to open up with a little song the Lord gave to me uh, probably several months ago. It's called Holy... If we could go ahead and put that up there. Holy Spirit, have your way in me. Holy Spirit, take control. Come and magnify the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, take control. How many of you want the Holy Spirit to have his way in your life this morning? It's a really simple song. It kind of opens in my message this morning. And uh, I'm going to sing it once through, and uh, amen, it's been a while since I've done a solo here. I've got my mic up here so I can hear myself since, uh, uh, 
Holy Spirit. Magnify the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, take control. Sing it with me, simple. time. we just thank you Lord that you're a good God we ask you Lord this morning to just open our hearts open our minds Lord to receive the word of God Lord let us never go back to be the same Lord we need you more in this day in this hour than ever before we need our faith to increase We need to increase in the knowledge of your ways. Lord, we ask you to just quicken us by your Spirit this morning. Open our ears, open our eyes. Help us to see Jesus. Lord, we love you. We ask you to have your way in our life right now, in our family, in our marriage. 
We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, all right. I want to share a word to you this morning that I felt the Lord lay on my heart. How many of you know that we are in a spiritual battle? How many of you felt the battle coming against your life? And uh, if you're not getting any heat, if you're not facing any uh, problems in your life, then you need to check your pulse and see where you are. Uh, One thing that we know that as believers, uh, Jesus made it very clear, Paul made it very clear, that we're to be strong in the Lord in the power of His might. For the Bible says, for Satan goes around seeking whom he may devour. You know, the devil has no power over a believer. How many of you believe that? There's no power. He has no authority over you. But the one thing that he tries to do is he tries to distract us. He tries to get our lives preoccupied with things that we begin to just get our eyes and our focus off of the Lord. And if He can distract us in the simplest ways. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm not in any moral major sin. I'm not going through any major problem. I have no serious addictions in my life. I'm not struggling in those ways. But you know, it's not always necessarily the big sins in our life that can sometimes take a person out. In fact, Jesus one day dealt with a a rich young ruler that was a moral man. He was an upstanding individual in in in, in society in the first century. And he came to Jesus one day and he said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was a very rich young man, well-to-do. And Jesus said, you know the commandments. Jesus actually recognized that he was a moral man and a religious man. He was a leader in his community. He was a rich, young ruler. So he, he had place of prominence, leadership. And Jesus said, you know the commandments. And he says, all these things I keep. He's not an adulterous man. He's not a thief. And uh, he, in his heart, felt that he was not into idolatry. But then Jesus, it says in Mark, it says that the Lord looked upon him and loved him. and said, one thing that you lack. Now you may think, wow, why is the Lord interested in the one thing? Everyone turn to your neighbor and say, one thing's important. That one thing is important. Now here's a guy who's a moral man. He's a man of character. He's the kind of guy that you fathers and mothers, if you have a daughter, you would like this guy to marry your daughter. He's a good man. He's a hardworking man. He's a wealthy man. And he has some outstanding character qualities. But Jesus says one thing that you lack. It's interesting, God will oftentimes put His finger on that one thing that we're not even looking at. How many of you know that's because He loves us? God's not putting things in your life because He's trying to condemn you. We need to renew our minds that when our Father puts any finger on something in our life, it's because He loves us. Amen? And when he does that, it's because he loves you so much. One of the worst things, if you go into Romans 1, you'll find one of the most devastating things that God would ever do to anybody is this. Is when God gives you over to your own desires. One of the, one of the most horrible things is when God gives you up to let you do what you want. 
Bible says there, it says, because they did not retain the knowledge of God in their conscience, neither were thankful. They did not want the knowledge of God. It says God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do the things that they wanted to do. I never want the Lord to give me over to what I want to do based on my human reasoning. Because Ray Galligan doesn't know what he needs in life. He does not know. That's why I trust in the Lord. Lean not unto your own understanding. But Jesus said this one thing. He says, go and sell all you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. Now, the Bible says that the young man became sorrowful and walked away. You know, Jesus didn't always have successful altar calls. Sometimes we need to measure the success of a church by how many people leave, by not necessarily how many people stay. Sometimes people walked away from Jesus. They couldn't handle, they didn't want the message because it's that one thing. That one thing. Now, I, I know right now, how many of you know that right now there is a battle for the affection of your heart? When it comes to worship, when it comes to Christianity, folks, Christianity is not about church attendance. It's not just what we do behind four walls here on a Sunday morning. Christianity is so much more than just coming and dropping your little nickel in the bucket, singing some songs and hearing a little message and going home. Christianity involves a lifestyle. It involves you being sold out. How many of you know Jesus wants to walk with you every day? And we know that there's a battle for your life. Right now, there's a battle for the minds of men. And the devil is not going to sit back. He's a strategist. Satan understands your weaknesses. He knows what buttons to push in your life. And he understands. Now, I'm not here to glorify and magnify the devil, but I want to share a message with you this morning on tearing down high places. What it means to tear high places down. I want to start in your Bible this morning. We're going to go very quickly through a number of Scriptures, starting in Numbers chapter 33, verses 51 and 52. And let's... Start with this Scripture, then we're going to pray and move for a few minutes into the Scripture this morning. Verse 51, Numbers 33, verse 51. Speak to the children of Israel. This is the Lord speaking to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan River across from Jericho. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan. This is the promised land. You shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you, destroy their graven stone images, destroy their molded images, and demolish all their high places. Everyone say high places. Father, we pray right now the Holy Spirit would quicken our minds, anoint our eyes to see. Lord, we pray that we would come to understand the battle at hand. Help us to realize that we are more than conquerors. Help us to realize that we are no longer slaves to sin, slaves to the past. We're no longer slaves to problems. But Lord, we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We thank You in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. In a short synopsis this morning, as we go back through the first five books of the Pentateuch, Abraham, through the book of Genesis, deals with the first 
four families in Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph deals with those four. These were the patriarchs of the next four books of the Bible, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And of those four books deals with the journeys of what we know as the children of Israel. Israel was the direct descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were the descendants. And for 430 years, from Genesis 50 to Exodus 1, there are 430 years where there was no prophetic voice in the Bible. There's no prophet. But from that time, the children of Israel are living in Egypt. And the Bible says that Pharaoh, who was the Bible, he was the king or the, the emperor there in Egypt. The Bible says that, that there was favor on, 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 Egypt, or on Israel under Pharaoh when Joseph was the prince. But 430 years have passed. And when we come into Exodus 1, it says that Pharaoh did not recognize the God of Abraham. Did not know him. And so they had, over 400 years, Pharaoh had begun to treat the children of Israel like slaves. They begin to build his pyramids, his palaces, his homes, his houses. The children of Israel lived as slaves to Pharaoh. They built brick. And the Bible says they begin to multiply and increase. So along comes Moses. God begins to bring uh, and raise up a young man by the name of Moses who was raised in the courts. He was a, more or less a stepson under Pharaoh. And of course, at the time, we know the story when Pharaoh, uh, Moses one day saw his brethren fighting. He steps into the situation and he sees one of the Egyptians beating his own brethren, he steps in and he kills an Egyptian. Well, the Israelites see this thing. They kind of blow the whistle and all of a sudden Moses becomes a fugitive and he begins to run for his life. And so the Bible says when you get into Exodus 2 and 3, he's on the backside of the desert. He's running. And the Bible says through this season of time, God begins to test Moses. Moses doesn't realize it, but God is preparing him for leadership. How many of you have ever felt like you're on the backside of the desert? All alone, and you don't know what's going on, and yet God is dealing with you. Moses comes from the palace into the desert. And in that season of time, he doesn't know the Lord. He doesn't know what God is or what He's all about. And he begins to inquire and he begins to ask questions. And finally, it's in Exodus 3 where the Lord appears to Moses through the burning bush. A talking bush. How many of you know that you need to be really desperate when you start hearing bushes talking to you? Well, it's not an accident that that happened. Because what was going on is God was beginning to help Moses understand God's ways. And by the way, if you're ever going to come to know the Lord, you're going to have to get to a point where God can use anything to speak to you. If you're ever going to ever come to really know God, God's going to get you in a place where you're alone, and He may actually use a talking bush. And that sounds weird. It sounds kind of crazy thinking. But God was trying to show something to Moses. And it was this. 
is that God, I'm going to God, God was saying to Moses, Moses, I'm going to use things in your life that you would deem impractical and even foolish at times. But I'm going to use those things to bring glory to myself. And so God began to break Moses down. He began to break his understanding, his rationale, his reasoning, the way the, his arguments, his, his understanding. God began to deal with Moses in a way that Moses would have never thought. First, first of all, speaking through a burning bush. And it was not only in that burning bush, God begins to appear to Moses and in, in that place and in that time, God begins to speak to them in that desolate wilderness. By the way, we never want to despise where we are at in our journey because those places become holy ground. Some of the things that you've walked through, you don't want to despise it. You never want to say, well, that was a waste of time. Or that was a, just a sidetrack. You never ever want to despise what God has allowed you to walk through because it's in that season God is going to speak to you and actually He's going to prepare you for His glory. He's preparing you for something you never thought you would ever end up. And some of us, I feel this morning, we've walked through things and maybe you're like Moses in that burning bush experience and God's been speaking to you in crazy ways and strange ways and things you've been going through have not really made sense. In fact, it just goes contradictory to the way you think, the way you reason. But God's in it. Everyone say, God's in it. It's so important that you realize that whatever you're walking through, there's not a day there's not a season, there's not a second, there's not a problem that you haven't walked through that God does not use that to develop you, to dispense His grace, and to equip you for the next level in your life. See, that problem will become a stumbling block or a stepping stone. God intends for you to grow from it. Amen? Moses is in the backside of the desert. God begins to speak to Moses. Moses is hearing from the Lord for the first time. And God says, Moses, I'm going to use you as a deliverer. And the first thing Moses says, I cannot talk. I can't speak. I can't sing. I can't dance. How many of you know God never asked you to do something you can do? In fact, one of the ways you know that you've heard from God is when God asks you to do something that's impossible. If you've ever been asked to do something that you can do, it's probably not from God. God will always ask you to do something you can't, cannot do. You know why? Because He's a supernatural God. And God wants to take your natural and turn it into something supernatural. And there's times where God has to first deal with the walls and the strongholds and the high places in your head. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's some things in your head. God wants to deal with some things in your mind. And by the way, folks, it's because He loves you. God's not trying to play games. He's not into pulling the God card out and tricking you. God is a God who wants to help you understand what life really is all about. But here Moses, God begins to speak to Moses and He begins to go back. And you know the story of the ten plagues. He brings Israel out. They cross the, uh, uh, the, the, the Nile through the river and, and then they come into the, the wilderness of Paran, into the wilderness. It was there. God, even though God delivered Israel out of Egypt, 
God's biggest problem was getting Egypt out of Israel. You can, God can get you out of something, but then what God is really trying to do is change your heart. And so for 430 years, Israel talked like slaves, thought like slaves, walked like slaves. They were slaves under the dominion of other people who bossed them, ruled them around. And God says, I'm coming, bring, coming to you as a nation and I'm going to take you from being slaves to being sons and daughters and to becoming kings and priests. But the Bible says that Israel rejected the call. They said, well, we're, we can't do that. We're grasshoppers in the sight of our enemies. The Bible says because of their unbelief, Hebrews chapter 3 says because of their unbelief, their carcasses, they died in the wilderness. I, I believe they went to heaven. But the problem is, as they fell short of what God had intended for them in their life. God has something pretty awesome for all of us. Do you know that? And here we find that it's at this point in time where God begins to tell them that when you come into the promised land, He says that when you come into the promised land, there are going to be graven images. There are going to be high places. And God says, when you come in, you're not, going to have, you're not going to think like slaves. You're going to have to become warriors. Everyone say warriors. God wants you to begin to think like a warrior. He wants you to fight like a warrior. He's not calling us to a spiritual church picnic. He's calling us into battle. He's calling us to learn how to fight the kind of fight that starts with our knees. Starts on our knees. When we learn how to pray. When we learn how to worship. When we learn how to take God's Word. Amen? Instead of complaining. Instead of crying. Instead of just losing heart and becoming discouraged. God's calling us today as a church to rise up and realize that He's put a weapon in your hand. He's put a word in your mouth. He's given you a vision. And guess what? He's already given you victory before the battle starts. But what he's looking for is someone on earth that will come into agreement with what his word already says about him. He's not asking you to go into a battle that you will lose. He never calls you into something that you will ever lose. He always calls you into something that you will always come out victorious. You will always come out the other side stronger than when you went in. But what he's looking for is people who will Believe him. So when we come to this passage, actually many of, one of many passages in Numbers 33, God says, he speaks to them, and he says, it's time to cross over. Everyone say cross over. In fact, I, I have a prophetic word for new life. It's time to cross over. It's time to cross over from weakness to strength, from poverty to wealth. It's time to cross over from looking at yourself as a victim instead of be, becoming victorious. It's time to cross over. It's time to possess the land. We're not waiting for heaven. Pastor, don't you want to go to heaven? Absolutely heaven. But let me tell you, if heaven was the goal, then every time we bring people to Jesus, I'd pull out a gun, shoot you in the head, so you can go right to heaven. But that's not the goal. The goal is not to get you to heaven. The goal is to see Jesus Christ conformed in your life. His image conformed in you. Amen? He wants to do that even before He returns. My Bible says when Jesus comes back in Ephesians 4, He's coming back for a perfect bride. 
He's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for a courageous, tenacious bride. A bride who's not weary, who's not running. A bride who's strong in the power of His might. Now, Pastor, do you ever get weak? Do you ever get discouraged? Absolutely. In fact, let me tell you right now, the past three weeks in my home, my wife and I have gone through a hurricane of things. We started a little tiny remodel project that turned into a horrendous project. I'm the, one of those kind of guys that when you get into something and you start peeling back the sheetrock, you uncover all the problems and you see termites and you see water damage, I can't cover it up. I got to deal with it. How many of you know that? And, and I, I, and so it just one thing turned into another, and I was about ready to. I was calling out on God. It said, "Lord, will it ever end?" Ever, ever, anybody ever been there when you're in a project and you say, "Lord, will it ever end?" And God says, "Yes, but do you want to do it right?" And that was the thing the Lord began to challenge on me. So we begin to get into this, and we had to. We were just way behind on this bathroom remodel in our house, but just one thing, we ended up spending twice as much money than we planned on. I know that's embarrassing to tell you, but that was the truth. And we ended up just doing those kind of things, things that were not expected. But we, we prayed, we were putting our trust in the Lord, and the Lord began to give us some strength and wisdom, but it was a, it was a weary, very physically taxing on us, as well as just dealing and taking care of things in the church here. But those kind of things, what Carol and I had to walk through, we had to draw from the Lord. We had to wait on the Lord and trust in Him. But here we find here the Lord speaking to Moses to tell them that when they come into the land, they're going to be dealing with high places. High places. I want you to jump in your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 11. Now this is Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 11. This is after David is dead. Solomon had become king. And the Bible says that God had given Solomon grace with wisdom. And the Bible says he became the wealthiest man, literally the wealthiest king that Israel had ever known. He was, Solomon reigned as, as a king of peace. But I want you to see something here in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. It says, and King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, and the Zodonians, and the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. And so Solomon, notice what at the end of verse 2 says, Solomon clung. Everyone say clung. Solomon clung to these women in love. Now, let me make it clear, folks. God's not in, he's not against interracial marriage. I want to make that really clear here, okay? The problem here was God was saying, I don't want you to intermarry with people that don't have the like-minded values. That was what God was concerned about. It had nothing to do with interracial issues at all. It had to do with the fact that these women, the daughters of Pharaoh, were idolaters. How many of you know the Bible says that we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers? Why does it say that? Is, that, is God nasty? Is God trying to be tough and difficult? No. No. 
what he's trying to tell you is that a house divided will not stand. And when you begin to entertain things, I cannot tell you as a pastor how many times I've talked to young people that intermarry with people that are not believers or unbelievers. It doesn't mean that you're better as a Christian. You're not better than an unbeliever. That's not what God's saying at all. But what He is saying is, is that you're a house divided going two separate directions. It doesn't work. The Bible teaches that. That's not, that's not Ray's philosophy. That's the Word of God. It says that. Very clear in the Bible. And So what happens here, it says that Solomon clung to them in love. Verse 3, And he had 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines. I want to tell you, this guy was not a happy man. You've got to have 700 wives. This guy was not happy. And it's not the women's fault, by the way. This was Solomon's problem. He had a, you know, like oh, the old guy on the Rolling Stones, I can't get no satisfaction. Well, this was Solomon for sure. And it was so that when Solomon was old, notice what it says, verse 4, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Astroth, the goddess of the Zodonians, and Malcolm, and the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as David his father. Then Solomon, notice this, Solomon built a high place. Everyone say high place. Now notice, just because you start well. Solomon started well. Solomon in 1 Kings, or I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles, you find that when Solomon started as a young man in his early 20s, he inquired of the Lord. He said, Lord, I need wisdom to lead the people. He started well. But just because you start well doesn't mean you'll end well. Because it says that at the end of his life, the women that he intermarried because of their idolatry turned his heart away from the Lord. What does that tell me today? That I need to be careful how I live my life. I need to be careful with the people I'm associating with. Oh, Pastor Ray, are you saying we should uh, put ourselves in a monastery and cut ourselves off from our culture? Not at all. We're not going to cut ourselves. We're to be salt and light in our world. And we're to love the uh, unbeliever. We're to love the lost. But you are not to open your heart to the unbeliever and allow them to have an influence over your direction and over your life. You're to learn how to say, nope, I'm not going that way. There's been times I say this and in no way am I patting myself. I don't want to sound like that. But there have been times where I've had great friends, good friends in my life. I've had to say, no, I am not going to entertain that kind of behavior. I'm not going to walk down that road. I'm not going to listen to that joke. I'm not going to entertain that because I have something that's so valuable in my heart. It doesn't mean that I'm better than you. It has nothing to do with that. What it does is I'm guarding my heart. Amen? How many of you believe we need to guard our hearts? And uh, what happened was the Bible says Solomon clung to them in love. What I'm trying to say to you, what the Bible is teaching us, is that we need to watch our hearts. We need to be careful what we set our affections on. I tell parents all the time, parents, 
You know, today, it, it may not be drugs, it may not be immorality, it may not be idol. we may not be bowing down before an image like many of the Old Testament patriarchs were having a problem. Our problem today, let me tell you, one big idol in America, it's called the cell phone. You take a cell phone away from anybody today, most people, they, their world falls apart. Do you know the cell phone rules our life? The cell phone. Facebook. Some people cannot get off. Pastor, what are you saying? It's called a high place. A high place. Anything that you look up to, anything that begins to take your time, your affection, and your heart away from the thing that God wants you to do. Now, I'm not saying that cell phones and Facebook is bad. They're actually great tools. But how many of you know these things can consume you and these things can preoccupy your life to the point where you don't even have time with your family, your kids, your job? Now, we obviously know there's other major idolatry like the love of money, pornography, alcoholism, drugs. We know those things. Materialism, entertainment, uh, even video games. Video games. Anything can become idolatry. Horses, golf, football. You know, anything. Racquetball. I, I loved racquetball. Oh, I used to play racquetball all the time. When, after I got married, I was in tournaments. All of a sudden, I found myself doing something I never thought I would do. Again, nothing wrong with getting into tournaments. I was into tournaments. Loved it. I, I, but, but I did something I'm even ashamed to tell you. One time, in, my wife and I, in our covenant of marriage, we always made this rule, is that we would never go out and purchase something without being accountable to each other. Well, one day, I went out and I bought myself a $150 racquetball racket without her knowing about it. Because I wanted it. It. It's, it's not drugs, it's not alcohol, but it was, and I mean, I, I got I to tell you folks, I was practicing, we had a long, elongated kitchen, my wife will remember this, and I would practice my serving techniques in my kitchen. Not kidding, remember that honey, when I would hit the racquetball, it, it was about from here to that wall, maybe about this far, and I would drop the ball, and for hours in my kitchen, I, it was called a low fast swing, and I I learned how to I developed what they call it, it was what they call a the backhand uh, snap. I learned how to have a killer backhand and a, and a powerful forehand. I mean, I really I really did. I developed the technique, and but I had to have the racket. And what I did is I went and bought the racket without her knowledge. I decided to do it, even though. I didn't tell her. Now, you may say, well, what's wrong with that, Pastor Ray? It's called idolatry. For me, it was. Because it began, I began to break trust with my wife because I moved into an element, into to an arena where I'm operating now on my own without any accountability to my wife. Now, some of you may say, well, Pastor Ray, come on. We do that all the time. Well, guess what, man? You're headed for problems. 
Good preaching, Pastor Ray. I got to pat myself right here. Nobody should be operating and buying and doing things without accountability. By the way, that's what marriage is all about. Marriage is not about living independently from each other. Well, I'll do this. You have your checkbook. I got my. No, no, there's no your checkbook and my checkbook. We are one. We are united. We make decisions. My wife, and I remember going to my wife and I said, Carol, I just want to tell you something. And by I tried to butter her up. Oh, I was, I had a guess by the, by the way. Let's go out to dinner tonight. Oh, okay. By the way, honey, I just want to let you know I bought a rocket dinner. I bought a rocket dinner. She said, what'd you buy? I bought a rocket. Just, 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 just a little bit. How much did the rocket cost, Ray? Oh, just, just not much, not much. And, and I was, you know, just, just the weasel that I was, was trying to water this down because I wanted it more than what it was doing to her. I was breaking trust. Oh, Pastor Ray, you're just, you're just, oh, now you're stepping over the line. What are you talking about, all this accountability? Well, I guarantee you, it was an idol. I, there Racquetball to me got to a point where I ate and I was still going to church. So I, in fact, I was a, I was an assist, we were assistant life group leaders in our old home church. I was a, in some leadership, but racquetball after work, man, I would go into the kitchen. I work on my backhand, my forehand, my lob shots. I go to the racquet. I mean, I ate and slept it. Now I want to say this: there's nothing wrong with racquetball. I'm not, saying, I'm not throwing sports out the window and saying that sports, not at all. But, but the problem was, Jesus was no longer first in my life. Racquetball was. And that was the problem. I crossed a line. It consumed me. I ate it. I drank it. I dreamt, dreamt about it. It was in my life. It was a problem. It was called a high place. And the Lord began, I, I don't know about you guys, but you know one thing I begin to realize? All of a sudden, I noticed problems started happening. First, my relationship with my wife. Then finances. I begin to realize that my prayers weren't always answered. I was wondering, what's going on here? Well, God said, one day the Lord began to speak to me, actually out of the rich young ruler parable. He says, Ray, I'm no longer the Lord in your life. Think about what's important to you right now. And I started thinking about it. Well, my wife's important. God's important. My job's important. Money. Oh, I got a house. And the Lord says, no. What consumes your mind? Racquetball. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I, 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 was, I was shocked that I had allowed myself to slip into that. In fact, I even began to go to tournaments and miss church on Sunday. I know it's not a big sin to go on a tournament once in a while. I understand that schools can go on a tournament. That's fine. But for me, I'm talking about me. I allowed that thing to consume me. And it was wrong. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? I'm not trying to throw sports under the bus. Sports are fine. It's okay. Be a Dallas Cowboy fan. Praise God. We love the Cowboys. Love the Mavericks. All that. That's so fun. But the problem is it was consuming my mind to the point where my money, I'm doing things behind my wife's back, letting the things. I, I remember this also. 
I was a sixth grade boy teacher in our church. And I decided to tell Sister Edie, I no longer can teach sixth grade because I didn't tell her this, but this was the reason. I had racquetball tournament night. And I didn't want to miss the tournament night because it was interfering with church night. And that was a problem. But I didn't want to face that. Now I know right now somebody's probably, oh, Pastor Ray, I'm leaving this church right now. Well, praise God. God heals our hurting toes. Amen. No one's trying to step on anybody's toes. I love you. But this is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me to share this morning. I'm going to share what the Holy Spirit shared with me because how many of you know God doesn't want anything coming between us and Him? Now, I am talking balance. There's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with living in a nice house, driving a nice car. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that becomes all-consuming in your life, it becomes a high place. That's what we're trying to say. There's a balance here. Are you following me? Now here what's happened is Solomon had these women, and he loved them. They were hanging around. God had given Israel dominion. They were a world power under the leadership of his father David and Solomon. These women were seductive. By the way, there's nothing wrong with beautiful women. Nothing wrong at all with beautiful women and, and uh, women like this. But these women were idolaters. And he opened his heart. The problem is, is our heart. And it says that Solomon succumbed to this to the point in verse 7 where he built a high place for Shamash, the abomination of Moment. Let me tell you what that means. It means that Solomon actually restored the altars of child sacrifice. That means to allow your children to walk through the fire. Solomon, who was a worshiper of God over a period of time through the, the, the demoralization and becoming desensitized through sin, had now succumbed to the wishes of these pagan wives who said, we must restore these altars of incense and altars where we can burn our children before our gods. And Solomon allowed that. That's what the, uh, the sin of Moab was. And it says that it angered the Lord. And not, now, now, I want you to notice something in the cha same chapter. I want you to see something down in verse 14. Because of this, it says, Now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite, and he was a descendant of the king of Edom. For it happened that when David was Edom, that Joab, the commander of the army, had gone to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom. In other words, and then notice also verse 25. Jump down there. And also it says here, I'm sorry, verse 23, And God raised up another adversary against Solomon. Notice when Solomon begin to move into idolatry, it says God raised up adversaries. How many of you can say you got enough adversaries in your life already? Here, God gave Solomon dominion and victory, but now it says because what's happening, here, listen to me. Do you know that God loves you so much? The Bible says for whom the Lord loves, He what? He chastens. 
When we reject His Word, God will use adversaries to bring us back in track. God raised up an adversary. God, God doesn't like that. He, he, he not being mean and cruel, but it says He raised up an adversary. Do you know what adversaries do? What, what, what adversaries make you do? It makes you say, God, what's going on? Have you ever done that? God, God... What's going on up here? Why, why is all this hell breaking against my life? That's a very important question. Now, not all adversaries are necessarily, and I want to make this very clear, not all adversaries and not all satanic attack means you're in disobedience or you're walking away from the Lord. Sometimes you can get adversaries because you're doing the right thing. I want to make that really clear. Not all advers- adversity means that you're... you're you're, you're doing something wrong. Sometimes you're doing the right thing and, and all hell breaks loose against you. But we find here specifically said that the Lord raised up adversity, adversaries against Solomon because he had built high places. How many of you know we need to be careful with high places in our life? Now let's jump on down to some other scriptures. I want you to jump over to 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 11. 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 11. Notice what it says here in verse Kings chapter 11. Asa, King Asa, by the way, in, because of Solomon's idolatry, Israel had been divided into the southern and the northern kingdom. There were 18 kings in the northern kingdom and 18 kings in the southern kingdom in the Old Testament here. And it says this, And Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord as father as David, but he banished the perverted people from the land and removed all the idols that the father had made. And he removed Micaiah, his grandmother, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. That's a very immoral situation. And Asa cut down her obscene image, this is the king, and burned it by the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord in all of his days. It says here, Asa had a perfect heart, but he tolerated the high places. Jump over with me to 1 Kings 22, verse 43. Listen to this. This is King Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat walked in the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not removed, were not taken away. For the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Now notice here, it says, they did what was right in the sight. They worshiped God, but now they're entering into the worship in high places. In other words, they're double-minded. I'm worshiping God, but I've also got high places over here. I'm worshiping. The idea of burning incense, if you ever understand the Old Testament concept of burning incense, means it has to do with passion. They're not just burning incense for the sake of smelling the aroma. The whole concept of burning incense has to do with the opening of your heart's passion for what you are praying to or what you are worshiping. The idea of burning incense means you mean a lot to me. That's what burning incense means. It means I am passionate about what I'm worshiping. That's why they burned incense. It wasn't just for the smell of it. It was connected to their heart. And we find here that when Jehoshaphat comes into the situation, 
they now tolerate the burning of incense. Second Kings, notice uh, also Second Kings chapter twelve, verse two and three. This is King Jeho- Jehoash. Jehoash, it says, verse two, verse two and three. Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him, but the high places were not taken away. And the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. 2 Kings 14, 3 and 4. 2 Kings 14, 3 and 4. Amen. Are, we, are you following me this morning? Are we all out there? Praise God. 2 Kings 14. King Amaziah. I want you to notice a progression. Amaziah, King Amaziah, did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father David. He did everything as his father Joash had done. However, the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. This has to do, will we see a decline? First, from we see here from King uh, Asa, who tolerated the high places but wouldn't burn incense. His next descendants begin to burn incense. But they did what was right in the sight of the Lord. In other words, they incorporated mixture. We love God. We're going to church. But we've got these high places on the side over here too. And now they're making room for it. Now they're burning incense when you come to King Amaziah. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 3. Or did I just read that? Okay, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 3. 2 Kings 15, verse 3 and 4. King Azariah. Again, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all of his father Amaziah had done, except the high places were not removed. And the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Are you getting the message here? They did well, but they left high places. And every generation descends deeper into idolatry. From Let me say something to, to you parents. Listen to me, I pray. What you tolerate will become a conviction for your children later on. What you tolerate and what you allow will become a conviction that they will live by in the next generation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I need to be careful what I... I I am... One of the things as a believer, Paul said this in Galatians 5. He says, we've all been called unto liberty. Amen? But do not use your liberty or your freedom as a license... To serve your own flesh, but by love, what? Serve one another. You know what that means? It means this. Is that when I do something, whatever I do, I'm no longer doing it for myself. I'm doing it so another brother will not stumble. Paul said this, that if if eating meat causes a brother to stumble, I won't even eat meat. Because I am no longer living for myself. I am no longer. I, I, I'm going to make a statement here, and I'm not, I'm not in any way, shape, or form bringing judgment in any way. Please understand, but I'm going to use an example. I know there's been a big controversy about drinking alcohol in Christian circles. Drinking wine. It's very accepted. 
I know today in the Bible, and we know that even the Apostle Paul said to drink wine for your stomach's sake, and he told Timothy for medicinal reasons and that. I'm not bringing any issue about that. But I want you to know that in my home you will not find, and it's not because we're better or more self-righteous, but Carol and I as pastors and as Christians, we do not drink alcohol. Why? It's not because we're self-righteous. It's because as leaders we know that our decisions affect other people and people that have a problem with alcohol could possibly stumble if they know Pastor Ray drinks it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do not want to be put into a situation where someone, Pastor Ray, do you drink wine? We don't. It's not because we're better or more righteous. And I'm not talking about, if you drink wine, I pray that you drink responsibly. I know Jesus drank wine. I understand that. But in my heart, in the way the Apostle Paul put it, we believe that we are no longer living for ourselves. If I could keep one brother or sister from becoming an alcoholic, it's worth us not drinking wine. Let me tell you another thing. There's plenty of other great beverages to drink. I do not need a zip from alcohol. I just, I'm just saying that. I don't need it. Now, if you drink it, drink responsibly. It's, it's your issue. But I want you to notice, I don't want it to... Uh, by the way, just to let you know something else, in my family, on my mother's side of the family, we have a horde of alcoholics. And I would not touch the stuff. My bro, I have a younger brother. He's never been here. He's, an alcohol, he's been an alcoholic. I wouldn't touch it. I would put a sip to my mouth. It has nothing to do with being righteous. I'm not better than you because you drink. If I don't drink, I'm not bringing that conclusion. I want you to know it's an issue that has to do with my behavior and what others may be tempted to do because of what I accept. Secondly, based on the um, survey of how many of you have ever heard of MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers? Remember MAD? This is a true survey that came out. And I actually I heard by a man by the name of Pete Almanza who used to work there. He actually told me this. They say that every family that has, that has an acceptance of casual drinking will have the potential of one of their children become alcoholics because they accept it casually. Now, I'm not bringing that to you from the standpoint of condemnation or any self-righteous issue here on my part, but I want you to know if it means keeping one of my kids from becoming an alcoholic and destroying their life. It's worth me and my wife not drinking at all. That's, that, that's just our convictions. We live by it. I am not in any way imposing. If, if you drink and you feel you need to drink, you do it casually, that's your business. I still love you. I still accept you. Now, I know that some of you may think, well, hide the beer of the pastors here when I come over to your house. I really pray that you don't do that. I'm not here to judge you. But I want you to know that high places are not something. A lot of people think that high places have to do with the devil coming at you and saying, hey, by the way, I'm here at your house to destroy you today. I mean, you know the devil doesn't work like that. The devil works subtly by getting you, he tries to negotiate ground. i got to find something that you agree on that, if I can find some place, just some simple little sliver of compromise in your life where you accept it. 
if I can find that, then I can work on that area. I want to tell you, folks, I've lived long enough to know that you cannot even play with this fire. I'm going to tell you of a, of a high place that I used to struggle with. That was pornography. I struggled with pornography. It didn't start out... The first time I was ever exposed to pornography was when I was in high school. I opened up my, a, a, a locker. In my, I had to share a locker in my high school. First time I'd ever been exposed. This guy had a Playboy pinup hanging up in... The, we, we both had to share a locker. First time I'd ever... I'll never forget that image fried my mind for months. It, but it opened the door in my life. And I struggled for years with that. But you know what? I've come to find out the only way you can stay free and be free is you have to be accountable and you cannot even have an internet without filters and no person should have internet without filters and accountability to their spouse or even their church leaders if you want to be free. It's a high place. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. Amen. How many of you believe that we, if you want the victory, there's some things you're going to have to take some steps in? Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? It's really important. But here's what happened in the, with the kings of Israel. Notice here in 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 4, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God and his, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his sons pass through the fire. Notice this. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel, and he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Now notice this. Here... We have a degeneration. One generation going lower. The next one going lower than that. The next one going even lower. Now we have this guy who now allows his children to walk through the fire. In other words, they now begin to become soft and they begin to tolerate witchcraft. Witchcraft becomes acceptable. How many of you know that witchcraft and Christianity doesn't work? They say, well, pastor, I would, I, would never, I would never tolerate witchcraft. Let me ask you this. Is your children reading, reading Harry Potter? It's witchcraft. Pastor Ray, come on. Harry Potter is just some books. They used it as a, as a ploy to help young kids read around the world. Now you're saying it's a bunch of witchcraft. Let me show you some studies on it. 14% of all young people that have read Harry Potter have seriously made decisions to move into sorcery, into witchcraft. They understand the power of it. I want you to understand, folks, that just because the EPA, or not EPA, the NEA, the National Education Association, just because they endorse books doesn't mean it's necessarily from the Lord. And we need to understand here, the Bible says, the God of this world blinds the eyes of men. Even people that you may look to and respect in high places, if they do not 
fear the Lord, they can be guided by wrong spirits. And I am very concerned. I believe as parents, we need to be on top of what our kids are reading. I believe parents need to be knowing. You need to be asking questions what your kids are viewing on their iPhones. There is no iPhone that should be held by a minor that the parent has no access to. No child should have a password that says, Mom, Dad, it's my iPhone and stay away from my iPhone. No way. This is not a hotel. This is a home. And in my house, I have access to everything you have to. Oh, Pastor Ray, that's just a little, you're just encroaching a little too far. Well, then go ahead and lose your kids. See, in this society today, parents have been completely stripped of their authority. They are made to look stupid by Hollywood. You are made to look, even, I wouldn't allow my kids to even watch Walt Disney, Nickelodeon. Those shows are dangerous. They're anti-authority, anti-family, anti-God. They push the perverted society. I want to tell you, parents, you need to understand what we're saying here. I know what the Holy Spirit laid on my heart. I'm saying these things because the reason I'm saying that there's a trend, I'm not talking about the unbeliever, I'm talking about in the church. There's a trend in the church where a lot of parents are just allowing these shows to babysit their kids while mom and dad are doing, doing other things. We are in a battle. These things are very, very critical. Now, I want to take you into, here we find here that King Ahaz, three things, he embraced the mixture of other gods, he allowed the influence of pagan nations dictate their values, they ultimately succumbed to the deception of idolatry by calling wrong right. In other words, the things that were right from the Word of God are now in society during the King Ahaz is now wrong. How many of you believe that the strength of society is its moral backbone? When we begin to say that murder is okay, how many of you believe that's wrong? When we begin to call lying okay, do you think that that's a problem? Is lying okay? Is, is cheating okay? Is stealing okay? Is murder okay? Well, that's what happens in a society that takes the Bible and throws it away. Now, I'm not here trying to bring judgment on society, but I'm here to say to you that the Bible says that high places, high places have their roots in a satanic element. And as Christian parents, we need to be in tune. Amen? I want one last scripture. My time is gone. I want to jump with one last scripture. 2 Kings 18, 1 and 7. I'm going to have to finish this next week because my time is gone. Last scripture, well then we're done. 2 Kings 18. This is a king who finally got radical. 2 Kings chapter 18, notice what it says. <clears throat> it says here, <clears throat> verse 1, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoosia, the son of Elab, the king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And he was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. 
His mother's name was Abai and the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Notice verse 4. Notice the first thing it says that this guy does as a king. He removed the high places. He removed them. How many of you know that when you're sick, you've got to apply surgery and you've got to cut out the cancer? He removed the high places. He broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden images, broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses made until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehashtan. Notice verse 5. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor who were before him. Notice this. I love this. For he had held fast. Everyone say, hold fast. He held fast to the Lord. And he did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord God commanded Moses. I love verse 7. Here's the beauty right here. And the Lord was with him and prospered wherever he went. How many of you would like that blessing? I want the prosperity wherever you go. He said, the Lord was with him, and wherever he went, he prospered. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Everyone say rebel. Do you know that if you're going to serve God, you're going to have to rebel against this culture? You're going to have to rebel against the system. I'm not suggesting that we don't honor the king, that we don't honor those in authority. I'm not saying rebel that way, but I'm saying I'm not going to participate in things that are contrary to God's Word. We value. I love, I am to love my enemies, but I'm not going to participate in their pagan practices because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. My home is a sacred place for God's presence. How many of you know we need to guard the presence of God in our home? And see, Hezekiah realized that in order for the blessing of God to be there, I've got to watch the influences that are coming in my life. And here Hezekiah got radical. He applied surgery. And it says he held fast to the Lord, did not depart from following Him. And the Lord prospered. And it says and he he subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and the territory from the watchtower to the fortified city. And it came to pass in the fourth year the king Hezekiah Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea and all these other guys, it's basically God gave him victory, and God gave him victory in his battles. When he faced battles, God gave him the victory, gave him the the power to overcome. The presence of the Lord was with him. He prospered wherever so wherever he went. He and he did not associate with the king of Syria, which was kind of the central place of idolatry worship and pagan worship. He cut that self off. And then the Bible says God caused him to prosper in battles. Now, I'm going to close here because I I don't have time to continue on this. But I wanted to show you a succession. Next week, we're going to finish this climactic, powerful on how we take down high places. I mean, are you going to come back next week for this exciting episode? Because I believe... We are facing some serious battles here in our nation. We're seeing changes in our value system. 
Now I know that you know, and I know you know that our, our victory is in Jesus and our identity is in our relationship with the Lord. But the devil will push your buttons. Any way he can get a foot in your life, he'll do it. It can be through an offense. It can be through sin. It could be through some simple little weakness. It can be through racquetball. It can be through pornography. It can be through alcohol. It can be through a friendship. Remember talking to a young lady several years ago. She wanted a boyfriend so bad. She got the boyfriend, but the boyfriend took her down. Took her down and then dropped her. We tried to reach out to her, but she just, she just had this heart. She was so lonely. Now she's hurting. It doesn't have to go that way. I believe we need to fight the good fight. We need to understand what we're dealing with. Amen? You should bow your heads. I believe the Holy Spirit is here and He's preparing us. I believe He's equipping us. I believe He's letting us know that we were created for greater things. We were created for honor, for glory. We are created to possess the presence of God. I felt the Holy Spirit say, Ray, the devil has been knocking at the doors of some people's hearts and they have entertained compromise. It's what the Holy Spirit spoke to me this week. So the Lord began to speak to me about dealing with high places. Maybe this morning you may say, Pastor Ray, there's been a time where I've allowed the enemy in and I need to root this thing out. I need victory. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you. There's been a high place. Okay, I see your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just dealing with a high place. The Lord loves you. He's not here to condemn you. He cares about you. Can we all stand to our feet? A couple of you raised your hands this morning. I want to tell you right now, the Bible says, that let us come boldly to the throne of grace in the time of need. When do we need mercy? So when things aren't going well. It says, let us come boldly. You know why he says, let us come boldly? Because he's a God who's willing to forgive. He's willing to restore. He's willing to heal. Amen? I want you to bow your head one more time. If you'd like to come down to be prayed for as the song is being played, Neam, turn that up just a little more, would you? If you'd like to come down to be prayed for, I'd love to pray with you. I believe God wants, us to, wants to root out anything that would bring defilement or hinder the blessing. He loves you, cares about you. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's a house of of holiness. It's a house of His presence. And this morning, if you'd like us to agree with you, I'd like you to come right now and pray with you. I want, to, I want to just ask the Holy Spirit to touch. I want to ask the Lord to just reveal Himself in His glory. I know what it's like to have high places in my life. I've had them. And they're nothing to play with. just really want to honor these bold young men here. Awesome young men. And I feel there's many others. You know there's been some areas in my life I've been struggling with. Areas where I know the enemy has got a foothold. You need to be down here. I'm just going to hang on here for just another minute. The Lord wants to touch your life. 
wants to speak to you. He wants to heal you. He's not here, here to condemn you. He's here to bless you. He's here to let you know how much He loves you and cares for you. He's not a God who condemns you. I, I believe there's some even some older men, some gentlemen, you've been struggling. Here's, I want to tell you, this is a time where we can turn things around. This is a time where we can get on our feet again. We're no longer victims to anything of the past. We are victors in Christ. And when we come to the throne of mercy, the Bible says He gives us His grace. I want all of us, take, take each other by the name. I want us to pray this prayer together. I'm going to pray. We're going to pray together, all of us. These awesome young men here, mighty men of God. Let's all pray together. Our Father, we come to you in faith. We realize that your blood has cleansed our sins. And Lord, you now redeem us. And we belong to Jesus. We belong to you. Father, take your place in our life become reigning king in our hearts. Lord, we give you our will. We give you our heart. We surrender areas in our life that Satan has come to take possession of. We ask you that we would be strong. Lord, help us to hide the truth in our hearts. And to be strong in the power of your might. And to put on the whole armor of God. We renounce every lie. And every attempt of the enemy. To bring compromise in our life. We will serve you Lord. We will honor you. Because you are worthy. You love us. You died for us, and you gave us freedom. And now, Lord, we will protect that freedom. We will guard our hearts as we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to someone, give them a hug this morning. Blessings on you. Thank you.